Turn, if you would, to 1 Peter chapter 1. Lord willing, I will be here next week if I survive the week. This afternoon, I'm going to go over to my daughter's house, and we're going to load up a truck. Tonight, the truck, my daughter, my son-in-law, and four very large dogs are moving into our house. (laughs) On Thursday morning, my daughter, her husband, and the four large dogs are going to start driving toward Provo, Utah. On Thursday afternoon at 1 o'clock, my wife and I are going to start driving the truck to Provo, Utah. So in theory, we will get there Friday evening, unload the truck on Saturday morning, and fly home Saturday evening. So I will see you next week, (laughs) Lord willing, which I guess is actually always the case. I do have another announcement to make, and it's... uh, My wife has been very leery about me telling you this because she is worried that you're going to panic. Don't panic. As you are aware, one of my son-in-laws is a a pastor at a church here in town, and they are doing a church plant. And my son-in-law is going to the new church, and they have recruited my wife to set up the, the children's program. So she has told them that she will give them a year. So you may not be seeing much of her. For a while, they're meeting on Sunday afternoons, in theory until Easter when they'll start normal services. So she'll be in and out between now and then. But I will be here every Sunday morning. So don't, don't, so anyway. Uh, my, my wife interviewed for the position. You know, I have to go through the procedures and, When she left, the senior pastor said, you know what, I think she's overqualified for this job. (laughs) So, that's what's happening in our lives. What's happening in 1 Peter? Last week, we almost finished chapter 1. We didn't quite make it, so let's pick up, I don't know, in verse 22, and get a running start into chapter 2. So this is verse 22 of chapter 1. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. The contrast that we have seen a couple of times so far in 1 Peter is between the perishable and the imperishable. And so he's going to give us an example of what that is. For all flesh, all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. In a, I don't know, a month or so, hopefully, we'll start getting some rain And all of our grass and flowers and all of that will start blooming as we have springtime. And then summer is going to hit. And those of us who have been born and raised in the great state of Texas know that that summer is going to do something to the grass. It's going to wither. We are all aware of the fact that this natural world grows 
and it decays and it grows and it decays. That's just normal. And what Peter is telling us is that you and I are the same way. We are like grass. You think, wait a minute. Don't we? Yeah, our souls and their resurrected bodies will live forever. But you know, you do know, we are old enough to know that our bodies decay. Anybody want to argue that point? (laughs) Yeah. The grass is beautiful, but it's going to wither away. If not in the Texas sun, come the wintertime, it'll wither away. But, but, the word of the Lord remains forever. The churches that Peter is writing to are beginning to undergo persecution. We've talked about this in almost every lesson we've done. They've begun to experience some level of persecution, and Peter is encouraging them. The word of God, which includes his promises to us, the word of God will not perish like the grass does. It will remain forever. There is an old saying, I'm not sure that I would totally 100% agree with it, but there are two things in this world that live forever. Human beings and the word of God will exist forever. Now, we know that angels, anyway, you know the problem, but what does that mean? What do we put our confidence in? Do we put our confidence in our stuff? Do we put our confidence in what our bodies can accomplish? What do we put our confidence in? Our confidence is meant to be in the word of God because the word of God does not fade. It is imperishable. So as the difficult times come, don't trust in external things, but rather trust in the word of God. That finishes last week's lesson, picking up in chapter 2. So, put away, get rid of, cast it off, just tear it out of your lives. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. So, Let's talk about slander. No, let's talk about all of these for just a moment. I do think it's interesting, and I'm not sure what I'm supposed to draw from this, that three of those have the word all in front of them. The other two actually don't. Put away all malice. What is malice? Malice is that desire to do something, well, evil. That desire to do something mad. I get ticked off at you, and this thing in my head comes up and says, I'm going to get my revenge. And Peter tells us, put off all malice. Well, okay, I'll put off the malice toward this group of people, but I am not going to put away the malice for that group of people. I'm just not going to do it. And Peter says, put off all malice. Now, we have a discussion sometimes 
about anger. There is a difference between anger and malice, but for right now, let's just kind of use them synonymously. And we know that there is such a thing as righteous anger. We see Jesus as he cleans out the temple from the money changers. He is ticked off because his father's house is being used as a marketplace. He is ticked off and he starts throwing the tables around. So we know there is such a thing as righteous anger. Let's have a show of hands. How many of you have ever been angry righteously? We have one guy that says he's done it. All I know, all I know is that the vast majority, all the times that I get angry, it's because I haven't gotten my way. I didn't get what I wanted Somebody got in my way, and I get ticked off. So while I'll accept the fact that we are to get angry at the consequences of sin in our world, generally, that is not the case. So Peter tells us, put off all malice. All. What's included in all? All. Do I need to repeat that again? All malice. Not A W L. I'm going to have to start whacking people in the front row again. Oh. As I read through this, I I, I sit here and I think, why did Peter come up with this list? I mean, there are lists throughout the scriptures of things that you're supposed to get rid of in your life. You know, things that you're supposed to cast off. Why did Peter, at this point, come up with this list? And, you know... It could just be a random, the first five things he thought of, maybe. But I also began to look back, and where did we get? By having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Now, that doesn't sound hard, does it? Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. We have a list here of five things that are going to hinder you from loving one another with a pure heart. I mean, let's just start at the easy end, okay? Let's not show malice toward other believers. Let's just start there. Anybody want to volunteer whether they've done that successfully in their lives? Sometimes we get ticked off at. Yeah, we won't even go there. What we see here is a list of things that hinders us from loving one another with a pure heart. And Peter says, get rid of it. You see, I can say that I want to love all of you with a pure heart. 
But to the extent that I have malice, deceit, hypocrisy, slander, and envy residing in my heart, I am not going to be able to love you with a pure heart. Now, after we've done that, after we've mastered that, let's broaden our circle to everyone around us, the people we come in contact with. Put away all malice. And I know what you're thinking. Well, I'll do it for this group, but I'm not going to be put it off for that group over there. Just name your favorite opposing group. Let's keep going. Put away all malice and deceit. What is deceit? Well, it's tricking people. It's not really telling them the truth. You know, I want this to occur, but I really want this to occur, but I'm not going to tell you that. Because I have very mixed motives. I am trying to hide something from you. I'm trying to hide what I am doing from you. Now, this carries off into the next word, which is hypocrisy, but we'll start with deceitfulness. We are to love one another with a pure heart. Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart. What does it mean to have purity of heart? It means that I will one thing, to use Kierkegaard's title from his book. That means that I'm not talking to you, being friendly to you, because I want you to buy my product. I'm being friendly and loving because I'm friendly and loving. Does that make sense? So much of what we do is done for mixed or not pure motives. So we're putting off malice and we're putting off the desire to deceive one another. So we might as well stop at this point and go, okay, so far I'm 0 for 2. I still have a little malice. I still have a little deceit. I'm doomed. What do we do about this? Let's back up again. Having purified your soul by your obedience to the truth. What is the truth? The truth is the word of God. Remember our discussion last week. And I use this picture, and it's a crude picture, but I'm going to keep using it anyway. The Holy Spirit, who has entered us as believers, uses the word of God to start scrubbing on us, getting that dirt and filth out of our lives. But sometimes we don't want it out of our lives. Sometimes we enjoy having it. Sometimes we, and so we tell the Holy Spirit, no. And then one of two things happens. The Holy Spirit just starts scrubbing harder, or the Holy Spirit steps back and says, okay, I'll wait. 
I'll wait for you to be ready. I'll wait until you see the consequences of your malice and your deceitfulness, and then you'll be ready to return to the word of God. What we use, what the Holy Spirit uses, is the word of God to which we are to be obedient. We are obedient to the word of God, and the Holy Spirit uses that to purify our lives so that the malice and the deceitfulness, remember, he would not tell you, don't do this, if you didn't have a tendency to do this. Does that make sense? In a moment, he's going to tell us some things about us. He's going to tell us some truths that are what we have because of our position in Christ. He's not going to tell us to do these things. For those of you who are new, the choir leaves, and so they're not mad at me, I don't think. (laughs) The Word of God and our being obedient to it is used by the Holy Spirit to remove the malice and deceitfulness from our hearts. But you know what? It's a command, which means we can tell the Holy Spirit no. Nope. I'm angry at that person, and I'm going to stay angry at that person. And you know what? That anger is going to color every aspect of your lives. You've heard the old semi-humorous definition of bitterness, right? Bitterness is drinking poison, hoping that your enemy dies. Okay? We can say the same thing about malice. I am ticked off at you so much, you have no idea. You know what? She's right. She has no idea. And who is this affecting? Me. It is preventing me from loving one another with a pure heart. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy. Maybe we should just skip that one. Would be the least hypocritical thing we could do. Years ago, my daughter and I were in a play. We were doing The Sound of Music. Actually, she was in the play, and they called me and said, uh, we're short a person. Can you come? So I did. I was Herr Zeller, or as I used to refer to him, the Nazi that talks. <laughs> okay? And there was a line in there, just a, inquans- I mean, a, just a nothing line. The, the, the maid of the household starts to tell me something, and I basically tell her to shut up. And I just spit this line at her. Well, after the show, the tradition is all the cast members stand out, and as the people leave, we shake their hands and thank them for coming. Every night, I had somebody tell me, you're mean. (laughs) And I'm sitting there going, not really. I have many character flaws. Being mean is not necessarily one of them, okay? 
but I was playing a part that required me to be mean. In ancient Greek theater, this show of emotions was done by the putting on of a mask. I'm happy, I put on a happy mask. I'm ticked off, I put on the ticked off mask. That putting on of the mask is hypocrisy. That's where the word comes from. Hypocrisy is when I come to church and I reach into my bag and I put on the I'm a holy guy mask. And guess what? I am trying to convince you that I'm this holy guy. Now, the word hypocrisy is actually thrown at Christians a lot because of the fact that, well, the scripture says to love one another with a pure heart, to put off malice and anger. We have a little malice and anger, therefore we're hypocrites. Well, in one sense, that's not true. Why? Because I don't stand up here and tell you that I don't have malice and deceitful. I just, I'm a sinner. We all are. So the fact that we are not perfect in and of itself does not make us hypocrites. But the world wants to use the word that way, and most of us have just given up and say, okay, yeah, we're all hypocrites. And I'm not going to lose a lot of sleep over that. But the scripture is very clear that we, as believers, are going to sin. And when we sin, we repent, and we are forgiven, and we try to put off the malice and the hypocrisy and the all the rest of this list. That's the Christian life. That's, we just have to accept that. The hypocrisy is when we no longer pretend, we, we are so pretending that we no longer ask repentance and we just keep our mask on. The Pharisees were hypocrites. They were very interested in you thinking they were right with God. And that's why Jesus finally, when he finally just gets enough of them, refers to them as whitewashed tombs. What does that mean? Well, you bury your ancestors in a, uh, you know, a box and you paint it up so it looks real nice on the outside. And on the inside, all there is is death. That's hypocrisy. We need to willingly, frequently confess our sins one to another. Why? Because if we're hiding them, we are pretending to be something that we're not. We are, in fact, being hypocrites. Now, I will throw in an aside that there are those who think the opposite of hypocrisy is full transparency. Well, that has its own set of problems, okay? I am not going to come up here and tell you the list of all my daily sins. Now, I should tell somebody, <laughs> but not necessarily everybody. There is a difference, okay? So we put off malice, deceitfulness, hypocrisy, and envy. What is envy? Envy is me wanting what you've got. It can be stuff. It can be uh, influence. It can be an uh, 
It can be something good. But envy is me telling God, I didn't get what I want. I'm ticked off at God because I want what they have. And what does that do to us? Well, it hinders our relationships. It prevents us from loving one another with a pure heart. It just does. When I am envious of you, when I see you doing something that I wish I could do, when I see you possessing something, when I see you having some character trait and I say, why do they have it and I don't? That is going to produce a broken relationship. There is a reason that one of the Ten Commandments is not coveting your neighbor's stuff or their wife, by the way. That's in there too. Why? Because it hinders our relationship one to another. Put off malice, put off deceitfulness, put off hypocrisy, and put off envy. How do we get rid of envy? I actually think I know the answer to this. Not that I practice the answer to this, but I know the answer to this. It's called contentment. Contentment is recognizing that God has given me stuff. God has given me a personality. God has given me things for a reason. And I am supposed to thank God and be content. And to the extent that I am content, I am not envious of you. Now, I might add, we are to... I always liked what Ted said one time. Contentment means what I have plus God is all I need. Okay? And... I like that. And, you know, Paul makes the comment, I've learned to be content when I had a bunch, and I learned to be content when I was in want. I mean, I had little. And, you know, we could have, actually have a discussion about which of those two is harder. Okay? The person who has a billion dollars is more likely to want another billion. You just never know. Contentment really has nothing to do with the size of your bank account. It doesn't. I did read a... Uh, yes, sir. You know, just to add to that, I went through some periods of being depressed. Mm -hmm. says to me, contentment is knowing that you are loved by God. And the 
Yeah. Contentment is knowing I am loved by God. That's good. That's good. I read a totally useless statistic this week. Okay. If you are an ambitious, competitive man, what does that do to your average salary? It raises it 0%. But here's the second part. If you are a man and you are married to an ambitious woman, it raises your salary 10%. We're not going to go there. So put away all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. What is slander? Slander is me destroying your reputation. Okay? I'm going to have a prayer request. We're, we're praying. And I'm going to say, Let me, let's pray for Tim. Let me tell you why we need to pray for him. He's a lousy scumbag. Now, what have I done? Well, I've done something very religious. We're praying for Tim. But in reality, I have slandered Tim's reputation. Now, we as Christians would never do that, right? We as Christians would never, in a desire to pray for someone, share dirty secrets about other people. Slander can be verbal, it can be written down. I know legally there's a difference between those two terms. We'll just use them interchangeably. Slander is trimming people down. Why do we do that? Well, we could do it because we're envious of them. We could do it because we're hypocrites. We could do it because we have malice. We could do it because we're being deceitful. All of these are connected. Don't do it. My son-in-law that uh, is the pastor at the church, their church has a policy. Somebody comes to them and say, brother so-and-so is doing this. And he said, have you talked to brother so-and-so? No, I haven't done that. He said, you have 24 hours to do it, or I'm going to talk about you. (laughs) I mean, we're going to deal with you. The scripture is very clear. If I have a problem with somebody, I don't go to all my neighbors and tell them the problem. I don't go to any of them. I go to the brother. Now, there is a process if the brother doesn't respond, et cetera, et cetera, but we just like to talk about each other. And usually, often, frequently, It isn't for their good. Say something good about people. (sighs) So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Let's start at the end of that sentence. You have tasted that the Lord is good. What does that mean? Well, in this context, it probably means you're a believer. Somewhere at some point, you got a taste of God and you go, I want that. You are driven to that. And as such, we are to seek out what? The pure spiritual milk. For an infant, 
What is milk? It is that which sustains them. It is that which causes them to grow. It is that which is necessary for their lives. Here's the question. For how many of us is this what sustains us, what gives us life, what is necessary? This, the word of God. We have a whole lot of people in our country today who have their Bible and they have their life and the two of these things don't necessarily interact with each other. We are to desire the Word of God in the same way that the infant desires the milk. Now, I know over in Hebrews, it's used as an analogy that we're to move on to the solid food. We are to move up in the progression. But they're making a different point. In Hebrews, they're saying, you're stuck down here. You're still worrying about the easy part of doctrine and theology and et cetera, and you need to move up as an adult. Here they're talking about our desire for it. Wherever we are on the maturity spectrum, we are to thrive, we are to seek after, we are to cling to the pure spiritual milk that brings us growth. Just an observation. You as a Christian are probably not going to experience growth apart from the word of God. Now I say that cautiously because as I've said in here repeatedly, there have been times where I spend more time in the word of God and then that's followed by a period where God uses that to work things out in my life. But it's still the word of God. It's just, I've got this pile and now I'm, oh, that's what I'm supposed to do with that. We are to seek after the word of God. Now, as was pointed out last week, and we need to remember, back to the Verse 22, having purified your souls by your, wait for it, wait for it, obedience to the word of God. We know, I know, people who are biblical scholars in the same way that we might know people who are scholars about Shakespeare. They know all the words, they know what it means, they know the historical context, and they don't put any of it into practice. We know that's the wrong answer too. We need to be obedient to the word. We need to seek after the word so we can be obedient to it. And we do that because we've had that experience that the Lord God is good. Indeed, you have tasted that the Lord is good. Yes, Bill. Mm-hmm. And what's so curious is how James 1, 2, 
put away the malice and the deceitfulness, and yeah. Envy. <laughs> it's all connected somehow. <laughs> That's kind of amazing. But it also talks about that we have the mind of Christ. It's all connected. At this point, I do have to put in an aside. What if you open your Bible and it means nothing to you? What if you read your Bible? Well, you don't want to read your Bible. It's just boring. And I will add, there are some parts of the Bible that are boring. I shouldn't say that. Take that off the, I didn't say that. <laughs> My daughter, who's in college, texted me this week. And she's doing her read through the Bible in a year. And she says, now I know why you say Leviticus is where Bible reading programs go to die. Okay? <laughs> but you know what? She had some questions about Leviticus. It's kind of interesting. If you have no interest in the Word of God, it is possible that you have never tasted that God is good. It is possible. It is possible you just don't know how to read it, you're not familiar with it, and you need some help, okay? That's what we do as a church. We help you do that. But if you have no interest in what God has communicated to us, it might be because you have not tasted that, the God, that God is good. And if that is the case, then you need to understand what salvation means. That salvation is not just sitting in this classroom. Salvation is not just participating in some religious activity. Salvation is a relationship with God. And when we have that relationship with God, we have some level of interest in what God has to say. Some of you, in some box at home, probably have letters from your spouse or not yet spouse that were written years ago. And you know what? You pull them out sometimes and you're interested in what they have to say. Why? Because you have a relationship. I have a lot of really silly letters that I wrote my children 
and I reread them. Okay? We're always going on great adventures or something, being attacked by somebody or whatever. Why? Because we have the relationship. We have tasted that the Lord is good. What is it that inspires us to put off malice and deceit and envy and hypocrisy and slander? What inspires us is that we have tasted that the Lord is good. If we haven't tasted that the Lord is good, we're seeking our goodness someplace else. And guess what? God is good. Not just that is one of his attributes. He is the definition of good. And we are to taste that the Lord is good. And that is to inspire us to be like babies seeking after the nourishment. That's what we're called to do. So, maybe we should just stop there because we're not going to get very far. We are called to love one another. We are called to love one another with brotherly affection and with agape, love. We are to love one another. There are things in our life that hinder us from loving one another. And if I would guess, you could sit down in a moment of reflection and figure out what those are. You might not. That's why Peter helps us by giving us things that we need to cast out of our lives so that the love for each other would flourish. Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for what you have done for us. Thank you that the word of God is imperishable. I pray, Lord, that each of us would seek after, desire to spend time in the word. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.